G'day and welcome to Lunch Money. Uh, Lunch Money is the online and social media home for workouts, special situations and capital raising professionals. My name is Nick Samios. I'm the director and fund manager here at Hermes Capital. Uh, so a very warm welcome to you. Uh, today we're going to be talking about exactly what happens on the 31st of December when it comes to the end of the insolvent trading moratoriums uh, and and the other measures that are coming off at that time, because there is a lot of confusion about that. As uh, as I go about the place talking to insolvency practitioners and insolvency lawyers, uh, they're certainly at odds about that. Before I get to that, this week the Reserve Bank Deputy Governor um, Guy DeBell announced that Australia is technically out of recession. Um, that the non-Victorian states had dragged uh, dragged the the, the stats up. Uh, Obviously, Victoria had been dragging it down with the lockdown there, but overall that we're technically out of recession. Um, at the same time, the Reserve Bank's predicting that 5,200 businesses will fail. Um, in September, voluntary administrations were up 11%, although that was of a very low base, and a lot of insolvency people that I speak to sort of hardly felt that. Um, there's predictions of bank losses, of course. So whilst we're saying that we're technically out of recession, you know, we haven't hit we haven't hit the wall yet. We've got we've got to see what happens when the moratoriums come off, when JobKeeper comes off. You know, how bank losses are going to affect things. Uh, there was a couple of credit agencies that were uh, making or credit and collection agencies that were giving statistics. Uh, I think it was Collections House said that uh, business defaults were up twenty three percent in the month of September. Um, you know, we've still got nine hundred and thirty thousand people unemployed, and even that number might be masked by uh, by the government measures. Um, one of the comments that uh, Guy DeBell made uh, when he made the uh, the comments about the, well, when he announced that the economy was technically out of recession, he did say that the difficulties in forecasting were the worst ever. So it's the worst time ever to try and make an accurate forecast. And we know how those forecasts normally go. And that, of course, is because of the great uncertainty. Um, and uh, like I say, we, we, we ran a poll, actually, uh, this week in preparation for this show uh, to ask people about what uh, the, the moratorium's coming off. Man, we'll come to that in a little bit. Before I get to that, um, just a reminder to uh, share like or subscribe uh, our humble podcast um, to help us uh, get the message out. Um, and I would also like to remind you that you can ask a question online and the best question gets this glorious, uh, exclusive and limited edition lunch money mug. So if you ask the best uh, question whilst we're live, uh, the lunch money mug goes to you. Um, we've got uh, two special guests today, uh, uh, Warren Jar and uh, Jeanette Muller, and I can see you, Warren. Warren's joined us. We'll come to you in a moment, Warren, but firstly, I'll start with Jeanette Muller. G'day, Jeanette. How are you? Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for uh, for coming back. Jeanette Muller is the partner at Hall Chadwick in Brisbane. Uh, I don't think she was personally responsible for the borders staying closed to Sydney. I mean, we feel very discriminated against. Uh, you're, let us, you're letting Newcastle people and uh, other people from other parts of New South Wales, but us good folk from Sydney are still uh, still ostracised. But tell me, what is it, uh, before we get into our main topics, so what is it that uh, keeps you busy uh, of late? Yeah, sure. And look, I'm uh, sorry that we're keeping you out and I'm not sure that you're going to get the result you want this weekend either. So uh, let's wait and see. But uh, there's been uh, some early leaks which might suggest otherwise. Um, so, yeah, Nick, thanks very much. Um, 
I look after Safe Harbour here at Hall Chadwick. I suppose you'd say I'm a bit like um, special projects. I wear a few hats. I look after um, practice management up here in Brisbane and, uh, as I say, keep an eye on uh, Safe Harbour throughout the country. Um, what's been keeping me this busy is um, certainly uh, keeping track and making sure my Safe Harbours are compliant, um, really just uh, getting everything organised, um, looking throughout the country, making sure that, uh, you know, if there is an increase in, in, in numbers that we're well equipped to be able to cope with that. Um, also this week I've uh, sort of looked at a couple of really interesting webinars, um, very similar to your own. Um, I saw earlier in the week uh, Thea from ASIC gave a presentation to AIIP. I thought that was, uh, that was very interesting and also um, the IPA was talking about um, some Queensland-specific changes to the building industry fairness um, scheme up here, which is uh, really going to be a game changer for the for the for the subcontractors up here in Queensland. So, can you, um, can you quickly can you quickly tell us about that, just in a nutshell? What are those? Yeah. I'm very interested in the construction sector. What? what? Okay, so it's um, it's going to be a system where there's going to be a deeming of um, uh, charges essentially which are going to be able to be um, registered through the PPSR. So effectively if you're a subcontractor, the contractor um, goes into some form of um, liquidation and you've already um, gone through arbitration and you've got um, your debt uh, set, uh, you can then go to the principal. So you can automatically get a charge so you can skip over the, um, the liquidated company. So that came in early October. We're still coming up to speed with exactly what that means and um, how how the subbies go about getting their debts, um, you know, set. But it does seem to be um, a, a real game changer because it's going to um, impact upon um, developers in terms of their related parties and other entities uh, which subcontractors can now charge on. In the normal course of business, the subby could sort of skip over. Uh, so this is basically allowing that in, in the event of a formal insolvency by the sounds of things. Sure. In a more simplified version, you're talking about like a subby's charge, for example, yeah. under the cipher. Uh, this is slightly different. This is a different right. uh, regime again. I certainly think that you hit a home run by by specialising in, um, in Safe Harbour because I know that you did that obviously well before COVID came along. Um, and now, you know, when the government basically put all of Australia into Safe Harbour, certainly everybody who wasn't aware that there was a thing called Safe Harbour became aware of it. And uh, and I think once uh, once we get into 2021, it's going to become very interesting. I will park you for a moment, Jeanette, and we'll just uh, introduce uh, Warren Jaya. G'day, Warren. How are you? Hey, Nick. Doing well. Thank you. Thank you very much Thank for having me. Thank you very much for coming along today. Warren's a partner at HWL Ebsworth Lawyers uh, also in Brisbane, um, and what, what is it that, uh, that's been keeping you busy the, the last little while? Um, well, it certainly hasn't been much insolvency, Nick. Um, I think we've noticed a rapid decline in inquiries in anything of any substance, um, certainly over the COVID period. But what I've been seeing more and more is partnership and business internal disputes. So it's basic theory that there are three times that a businesses start having internal disputes, it's when they start making money, stop making money, or when then when one of the partners or proprietors' um, family lives change. And we've certainly seen at least one of the first two t coming up very prevalent in um, at the moment. 
So we're seeing like commercial property partnerships and the like where people have been together for many years separating their interests. And um, that seems to be the biggest focus in our group and, uh, and quite a few people around us at the moment. Yeah, that uh, certainly seems to be, you know, the lawyers that, that we speak to, um, there's a lot of that. I guess the, the thing about this COVID thing uh, has, has put a lot of pressure on relationships, both personal and business. So that, that sort of seems to be a theme. Um, well, especially when people have been together for 20 years and stuff. And it's quite, I'm seeing those sort of relationships break down now. Yeah. Business relationships or personal? Yeah. Both. Yeah. 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 Yeah, well, I guess, um, yeah, I mean, there's a saying in a marriage, isn't there? When the money goes, the love goes. And I suppose, um, you know, I, I also uh, I, I had a colleague who used to say that uh, people in business are as honest as they are profitable. So uh, I guess, uh, you know, when the love goes and when the honesty goes, uh, you know, in the, in the circumstances that we're in. I was going to say, sometimes when the money arrives, the love goes even, even quicker. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, indeed. That, that is interesting. And what else What else are you seeing? So a bit, a bit of the sort of partnership issues? Um, um, you're not really seeing, obviously, the um, people like the ATO have, have held off. Um, that being said, the ATO statistics yesterday were there's been an increase in, obviously, the ATO debts, but also an increase in fresh customers, as, as I call them, um, as in the increase in number of people not paying their tax. So I think... Um, as would be anticipated, people, as you heard, you were speaking earlier, are paying down their debt. They seem to be paying down some of their debt, not all of it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Um, do, do you have much to do with the ATO? We do. We do some for them. Yes. I I got told through the week that the ATO was now doing arrangements over four years. Is that? Have you I, seen that? I haven't seen that. I wish they would okay. for my batch and other stuff, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, four years to me, it's like my God, that's that's a slog, but. Um, and so that'll that'll be one of their focuses. I expect moving forward of taking real property mortgages. Focus. Well, they have they have sort of flagged that for the last couple of years. So you think that they'll actually the ATO will start taking property mortgages as security yep. for arrangements? Yeah, I think they will. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I'd like to see how that's going to work in practice because you know businesses are going to be looking to raise capital, and of course properties are you know they try and borrow against uh, against a property to to get fresh money. And giving it up as security uh, for, you know, for old debt uh, is going to be a challenge. We will bring Jeanette back. Uh, the survey that we ran this week, um, so what we asked was there, uh, there is no retrospective protection for directors for the COVID-19 temporary period if their company enters administration after 31-12-20. So basically the government put the entire economy into safe harbour uh, back in March this year. I mean, do you just want to? I've, I've given the very, the very sort of the financiers version of that. Warren, do you want to give sort of a little bit more of a nuanced definition of what that was? I actually think your definition was pretty darn good, Nick. Okay. Um, All right. It, well, it, for me, like the, the, Jeanette and I are actually in two different mindsets on this. Um, I don't think you need to be in external control by 31 December. Um, well, my reading of the Act, and Jeanette does. All right. Well, just just to define the problem. Okay, so the the insolvency moratorium ends on the thirty first of December, and the, that being insolvent trading, which is obviously an action against the directors of a company if the if the company is deemed to be uh, trading whilst it's insolvent. In other words, if the directors are incurring debts, you know they're ordering materials, uh, ordering services and that they know they can't pay for those services, or if they suspect they may not be able to pay for those services, 
COVID is a defence at the moment up until the 31st of December. But after the 31st of December, the question is, if you're not in administration by the 31st of December, do you lose that defence? Look, I want to just define um, what... So you've got two types of safe harbour at the moment. You've got um, COVID safe harbour, which kicked in on the 25th of March and um, is supposed to conclude on the 31st of December. It was to go to September, then we got a, a bit of an extension. Now, we've always had real safe harbour, which is under 588GA, and then what the um, coronavirus economics response on the bus bill did was it enabled um, us to have this COVID safe harbour. Now, the problem with COVID safe harbour or the, the issue that we're discussing at the moment is what is the period that that applies? And they use words like it will ap apply for the period during which commences on the 25th of March and it's for, for people in our industry, it's when does that period conclude? Now, um, if you're in Warren's camp um, and perhaps in the TMA camp, you would say that that concludes sometime in the future. Um, if you're in my camp, you would say, well, that concludes according to the legislation when you enter into some form of external administration. And that's kind of the argument at the moment. Would you agree with that, Warren? Yes. You know, um, well, my theory is that the Act gives a carves out a period of protection. Um, so a company could have been insolvent, I'll say, from 1st of January this year up until it's put into administration on the 1st of March in 2020. Um, COVID safe harbour would give a defence from, in my view, from the 25th of March 2020 to 31 December, but for the period 1 January 2020 to 25 March, and then from 1 January to when it's put into administration um, or liquidation, um, those um, those periods are exposed. Uh, you, you're talking about 2020. What about 2021? 2021, sorry. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, so um, the problem I see is that 2021 is not... Um, you, you, what day in 2021? Why not say 2022? Um, you know, there's no actual end date under that section. The section says when you place it into um, external administration. And I noticed in the exposure draft for the new legislation, they've also added in or when you when you place the company into um, uh, this new form of um, uh, VA, we'll call it VA light, whatever it's referred to. Which, which is interesting because I note that in the um, that little brochure that they all sent out, that one, I'm sure everyone's seen that, um, they're talking about a regime where if there aren't enough practitioners, small business practitioners, to be able to go and grab someone to, to go into this new form of VA light, that you can just register or show an intention that you want to um, utilise this regime so that you can extend the period within which you can place your company into some form of external administration so that you continue to maintain the benefit of the COVID safe harbour. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're opening up cans of worms, worms by the dozens there, uh, Jeanette. I mean, the first thing that you mentioned is, are there going to be enough liquidators? Now, most liquidators I speak to get most indignant uh, at the thought that there won't be enough liquidators. They're saying, listen, leave us alone, there'll be plenty of liquidators. Uh, you know, and as you know, because they're, they're look, you know, liquidators are scratching around looking for work at the moment. I was going to liken this safe harbour thing. It's a little bit like the government saying it's legal to drive without your seatbelt until the 31st, right? My query is this. So let's say I've got a business that, that uh, I buy and sell goods, so I need to order in the goods. 
Now, if on the 31st of December I fill my warehouse with goods that I, you know, in all good conscience, I probably can't pay for, you know, is that insolvent trading? Lauren? Well, you give us a bit hesitant to answer that. Um, <laughs> there, there are going to be obviously um, exclusions to this these type of defences, and one of the exclusions was as highlight was highlighted by Scott Morrison when he talked about these harp, um, relief coming out, and that was for debts that are incurred with fraud or dishonesty. So if you get a situation where someone knows they can't pay their debts and and says, oh, well, I might rack up a million bucks worth of um, of debt buying assets that I know I can't pay for, you might have a problem um, if that's being, been, being done in the days before 31 December. Yeah, I mean, good luck trying to prove that, I guess, in many cases. I think the reason, I mean, the reason that the TMA, I think the reason the TMA wants to say that there's no hard border, if you like, on the 31st of December is because obviously the TMA has a bias for saving companies and the TMA also has, um, I guess, a bias for saving companies outside of formal restructuring because obviously the restructuring process in itself, no matter how good it is, I mean, it's it's always going to result in some destruction of value. It's just a matter of, of how much value is destroyed. So I think that obviously they're, they're, they're biasing um, they're, they're biasing not having to have a formal restructure. Um, so, I mean, what's, there is a bit of moral hazard there, I think. What, what do you think in terms of the, the sort of a greater good uh, argument, um, Jeanette? Yeah, well, look, the first thing I'd say is I don't understand why the TMA would be against it because at the end of the day, um, surely all it says is go and get some advice. Um, don't assume that you're going to be covered and if in doubt seek out those who can tell you what the real state of affairs are. Um, and in that regard, why not get real safe harbour? I mean, it still doesn't mean that you're actually going to go into any form of external administration. Um, it just means that you're covering all your bases and better to be safe than sorry. I mean, after all, safe harbour is just for the directors. It's to give them that um, added um, protection from the corporate veil being pierced. Uh, so I think that, um, you know, uh, Really, the the organisations need to have a look at the legislation, apply some statutory interpretation, get to the bottom of it and start informing appropriately the, the public who need to understand this legislation. It's, to me, it's pretty straightforward. I think, as I said before, those, those companies with less than a million dollars in creditors will have an extension to the end of um, 31 March 2021. Those that don't, well, you, you're big enough to go and get some proper advice no one's going to have sympathy for you if you get this wrong. That, that's interesting. I mean, you, you, there's a couple of things. Firstly, yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess the intention of Safe Harbour is so that directors can have a red hot go at saving the business with good, you know, in good faith, as uh, Trevor Pogorowski has just made a comment there um, said. Uh, you know, it's all about you know you want to have a, a good faith attempt to save the business without necessarily you know risking you know, every asset that you own through some sort of uh, insolvent trading claim. So that's the intention of Safe Harbour. But one of the questions that I've got, and I'll, I'll, I'll direct it um, to you, Warren, is that I, I've, I'm sort of of the view that small businesses, particularly when you get to the even smaller sub $1 million dead end, they're all in. Those, those small business people, usually they've hocked their home, you know, whether insolvent trading or no insolvent trading, you know, they're all in. Whereas with some of the bigger businesses, you know, when you get to the sort of the end part of the SME, um, those businesses often have professional directors who are maybe only earning 40, 50, 60 grand as a professional directorship. They don't have necessarily have shares in the business or if they do, it's token. And it's those guys, uh, you know, that don't want to 
get cleaned up through some sort of insolvent trading action. Do you think that uh, this is where the pressure is going to be? I think there's going to be pressure across the board because where cash is king, going to be king come 2021 in my view. Um, so I think your your directors of your your more mid mid to larger SMEs are certainly going to be, um, particularly those as you properly identify, who don't have all their assets in. If you've got a small two person company, which is where the people are personally guaranteeing everything, their mortgage is cross secured, safe harbors useless. Let's be yeah. blunt. Um, However, when you move to a larger entity where the people are um, have assets at risk, Safe Harbour provides the right absolute path forward. Now, I should say one thing: Jeanette and I are actually mad have been madly in agreement that Safe Harbour is the right approach for anything of any substance because relying on the light Safe Harbour for one of better better description, the COVID amendments, is not the safest way forward. I think Safe Harbour to be a safe Safe Harbour. Go get proper, proper professional and independent advice because it gives you the only path forward to, that you can hold up independently and say, "Look, I'm protected." Well, I think that um, I mean, I, I, regardless. Well, I, yeah, I should quite quantify my own view on this, regardless of whether or not the director's being all in. The fact is, a safe harbour process is still, you know, it, it's still requires the directors to own, you know, to face, look, we do have a problem. And that's one of the biggest issues you have in getting early intervention. So it does encourage the directors to admit they've got a problem in the first place. And secondly, it's a prerequisite of Safe Harbour to have a plan. So regardless of what the consequences might be down the track, uh, just by those very, those two steps alone, Facing the problem and having a plan could, in fact, uh, you know, preserve stakeholder uh, stakeholder value across the board. Anyway, Jeanette, I'm sure you would. Yeah, agree. look, I, absolutely, and I always say that. I mean, it has its own rewor- rewards. Um, whether it's the improved corporate governance that comes from actually putting in place a plan, um, having your regular meetings, um, reporting back to someone, telling them what you're doing, um, having me involved, for example, at board meetings with different um, stakeholders. I, I just think that um, you know it makes you a better business in any event um, the people you know uh, arguments in the past as to why um, companies can't enter into safe harbor have been oh well we can't get our tax in order you know we haven't lodged yeah. our bas or, or our employee entitlements are outstanding well I suspect that most people have lodged their tax now um, it was the prerequisite to getting the, the um, taxpayer cash boosts and all the rest of it to get JobKeeper and everything. We're probably Australia's probably more compliant than it's ever been in terms of GST returns and bases, etc. So um, you know, short of putting together a, a turnaround plan, as you said, um, you know, what's stopping people from from really getting even if it's a light safe harbour light option from from getting some proper advice? I'd encourage them to do it. All right. Well, look, I'd like to take a walk through some of our headlines, but before I do, so Jeanette, you are of the view, uh, come before the 31st of December, if you think you're going to have problems moving forward, what, either enter VA or enter Safe Harbour proper or enter, what, what is it that you need to do? Well, it depends. It depends on your circumstances, I, I suppose. It depends if you've been, if, if you can identify with whether you were insolvent, have you got an insolvent trading claim? If you don't place your company into an external administration come the 31st of December, you might want to enter into voluntary administration. If you've got a good um, success story for the future, you might just be comfortable with safe harbour. I mean, obviously, the sooner you get into real safe harbour, um, the sooner that liability stops um, clock, you know, ticking up. If you enter today, 
well, I'm not liable for safe harbour from today forward if I yeah. go into liquidation or voluntary administration in the future. So it really depends. There's not one size fits all, really. You'd have to have a look at the company and the people involved. Uh, Warren, you are of the view that you don't have to put your company into voluntary administration. Are you saying that safe because you can put them into safe harbour or you don't need to do either? I don't think you need to do either, according to the yeah. legislation. But yeah. if you're at risk, come 1 January, if you continue to trade without having, um, while incurring the debts, you're then re-exposed anyway. So yeah. um, my view is on the section that on its strict reading, it doesn't need it. You don't need to have the appointment before 31 December, no. And I should say that uh, Warren's saying that he's talking himself out of uh, out of an early Christmas. So uh, I take it that that's... Can I just change my, my view there, Nick? <laughs> All right. Listen, we we'll just might have a look at some of the headlines that have uh, that, that have been through uh, come through the week. Um, there's one here from um, from the ABC. Uh, Coronavirus relief helps Tasmanians pay down debt. Personal insolvency is lowest in 30 years. Um, Jeanette, now that's that's obviously a, a headline from Tasmania, but in my experience, that's across the board. Uh, are you are you seeing people are using their JobKeeper money to to pay off debt? Um. Look, definitely, um, JobKeeper money is uh, is been a godsend to a, a number of businesses. Um, insolvency statistics, as we all know, are significantly down. Um, there's no uh, combined with, of course, the, the holidays from the banks and other financiers um, and landlord relief, etc. Um, I think people are very comfortable at the moment. They're not forced to make any decisions. We've also had some some significant relief from um, the tax office. I think that's the way that the government wants the economy to be at the moment. I think they um, are, in, are encouraging all um, all levels of business to, um, you know, take it easy till the new year and then um, slowly allow people to emerge. I mean, if I read some of the literature behind the um, support for small business, it's like there's going to be a problem. That this is the way I interpret it. There's going to be a problem here. Um, let's take it cautiously and slowly and give people every opportunity to um, emerge from this um, hibernation period. So, yes, to answer your question, yes, it's it's low. Um are some of these companies just going to deregister and disappear, as I'm hearing it's happening in Melbourne? I don't know is the answer. Will they use some sort of formal process um, or just disappear? Who knows? I don't know um, if you've seen the movie Awakenings with Robin Williams, um, but it's basically uh, I think Robin Williams is a, a, a psychiatric doctor of some description and you've got all of these patients that are catatonic. You know, they're sort of like in a in his catatonic state, it's not exactly, it's like a walking coma, I suppose. And then he puts them on L-Dopa. And so they've been catatonic and in this sort of walking coma for, for years and years. And the L-Dopa, all of a sudden, they, they sort of go back to normal. Uh, but then the L-Dopa wears off. And I just wonder whether or not, um, you know, I just wonder if this, uh, this, this thing of us technically being out of recession, you know, we've just had a, an L-Dopa hit. Uh, and a dopamine hit of, of these JobKeeper, et cetera. Look, our next headline, I'll come to you for this one, Warren, from The Australian, James Kirby uh, piece in The Australian, uh, spike in late payments of bills show economy in stress. Um, now, his source data for that particular article, uh, as I said to you before, I had Collections House with a 23% increase. Uh, he had another source, uh, Ilium, I think it was, with a 22% increase. What I'm wondering here is, obviously, Warren, we're in this phase where you can't issue, well, you can issue statutory demands, but there's a delayed period. When does that change? And what, what are, you, are you getting people lining up outside your door, getting the stat demands ready? 
Um, well, we haven't been because I think everyone's um, well. Obviously, those, those extensions end up towards the end, of, end the end of the year. We're just we're seeing, however, that six month period on the stat demand has been obviously disincentive for everyone chasing the debt. We haven't seen a real willingness for people to sue even over the debts. Um, I think people have been taking the view that in COVID times, what everyone says is COVID stopping me paying my bills. Um, of course. The unscrupulous amongst the debtors say, COVID stopped me paying my bills. And like, well, I had a matter recently and I had to say to them, yeah, you haven't paid your rent since August last year. So COVID didn't kick in for, the, for seven months post that. So the unscrupulous use the GFC, use the Brisbane floods, and they're going to use COVID. Um, the genuine, cre- genuine creditors these days we're seeing are trying to work with their, their suppliers or their, um, their customers more to get the debts paid. I haven't seen a more a willingness to go into more formal approaches for a little while. Well, that's interesting. So uh, it's, it's you, you, in, in many examples, you're saying it's just another example of the, the dog ate my homework. Um, yes. I, I just wonder, Jeanette, so so Warren uh, just mentioned this thing of in, he's seeing more informal arrangements. But, of course, these informal arrangements are the things that the liquidator in three months' time uh, loves to get hold of and they see the round payments. Round payments are obviously an indication that he knew the company was insolvent. So are informal arrangements a good idea? Uh, not if the company, uh, not if the debtor ultimately ends up in liquidation. Clearly not because they're all preferential payments. You know, um, COVID safe harbour is not going to protect anybody no matter who's right or wrong and when it expires from that um, little sting in the tail. Um, so everyone should be aware of that, um, you know. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it's absolutely right. Um, I suspect that um, suppliers are taking a lot of charges. They're getting their PPSRs in place. They're getting their credit applications worked out. You're getting equitable mortgages. They're doing everything that they need to, and there's just going to be a change. Up after those proposals were, were, were released with the small um, business changes, I suppose there's this there's this knowledge now that, you know, you deal with small business at your own risk. You make sure you cover your bases um, because, um, you know, um, the, the corporate veil might not be that easy to pierce and it might be, um, you know, there's no there's going to be no recoveries for insolvent trading. There might be no recoveries for preferential payments in the future. So get your paperwork right in the first place. It just goes to underscore that we've got this great uncertainty. Look, there was another article that caught my eye this week that I, that I really enjoyed reading and I recommend it to everybody. It was in the Financial Review and it was by the economist Warren Hogan. Uh, why do uh, why the price of cheap money will always be too high? There's talk of you know the, the Reserve Bank just continuing to reduce interest rates and uh, just so that they're, they're flooding the zone with with cheap money to try and keep the stimulus happening. Um, there's a couple of points that he makes, and I just wanted to quickly work through those. Firstly, he talks about cheap money uh, causing financial instability, and what he means by that is it causes uh, artificial inflation of asset prices. Um, so, I mean, do, do you see that as a problem, Jeanette, or I suppose high asset prices are good for recoveries and restructuring? Oh, look, certainly, um, and if I can speak for the, the world of Brisbane market at least, um, we don't seem to be having any problems um, res- in our residential prices. Um, I have heard that there are some, um, you know, uh, inner city um, leasing issues that that we might start to see, see because there's going to be some fundamental cultural changes um, that will take place in our in our business communities throughout Australia, I'm sure, um, even for a, a city like Brisbane that's pretty much 
business as usual other than the fact that we don't let Southerners in at the moment. Um, you know, uh, a lot of people still work from home. I've heard a lot of uh, different state capitals um, don't have as many people around at the lunchtime crowd. So there is, a, but and yet our suburbs are, are sort of thriving with the new lunchtime crowds and the, and the different opportunities that are, that are happening there. So I think in different regions, there'll be different problems in different markets. All right. Look, we've just been throwing a curveball here. Trevor Probrosky is, is going for gold. He's going. He's going for the the lunch money mug, and he's asked a, a quite a lengthy question here. So I'll read it out. Does Jeanette or Warren have any details of companies that have actually entered into COVID safe harbour, uh, and what success result has it brought? I'm of the view that there may be a handful of larger listed and SME companies that have entered safe harbour, but certainly not significant numbers. From bankers I have spoken to, there are very few clients that have gone through Safe Harbour. Any views? Um, well, I'll, I'll tackle that first. So with respect to COVID Safe Harbour, um, the catch-22 on this one is that um, any companies that have gone into liquidation now during, let's call it the COVID period, well, they are the ones that will be utilising the COVID safe harbour. So anyway, if, if a company went into liquidation today, if I'm the liquidator assessing your insolvent trading, I would say, well, you're not going to be liable for insolvent trading from the period today back to the 25th of March. I'll have a look pre-25 March and I'll assess if you've got a liability for that period. So I'd say there'll be quite a lot being utilised at the moment, but that's subject to the fact that in, uh, liquidations are well down on on, on numbers during this period. Um, where the sting is going to come is next year when we finally resolve this issue between um, Warren and I as to whether or not companies that go into liquidation next year will be putting their hand up saying, hey, you can't sue me for insolvent trading for last year and, you know, uh, we'll have to know the answer by next year because liquidators are going to have to pursue people for insolvent trading during this period, which would seem to be pretty easy given that, um, you know, it's been pretty difficult times. Or alternatively, you would just um, say, well, there is no safe harbour to pursue. So is it being utilised? In answer to that question, well, it has to be being utilised because I've certainly seen reports that, that are being issued um, that are saying that there's no um, answer, there's, there's no need to pursue directors for insolvent trading during this period. So, yes, it is being utilised. Okay. I mean, look, I do. I, I wonder if the thrust of Trevor's question there is that um, uh, it's not being talked about enough. You know, the, the safe harbour going forward. So, so, so I, I do wonder about that. Now, we've got this. There's another point that's made with it. when there's a lot of cheap money. Firstly, the asset prices get, get pushed up. Secondly, you push financing activity outside the core regulated financial system. So, what he's saying there is that a lot of money goes out of the banking system. And into you know the the uh, what do they call it the dark um, shadow banking and all that sort of stuff and I guess you know us as a as a as a fund you know people might 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 say that applies to us we've been doing this for ten years uh, at Hermes but I must say there are new players and I do wonder if if uh, they know what they're doing some of them and, and it does worry me there's a lot of money chasing yield but I don't want to I don't want to dwell on that the third point is about economic efficiency so he says that when you've got a lot of cheap money around. Um, you have an issue with economic efficiency, and he says that what this means is the cheap money allows weaker firms uh, to survive for too long. You know, even maybe before COVID, there was cheap money. Are there are there businesses that really, you know, should have closed the doors or restructured, and they've been kept afloat by cheap money? Absolutely, um, we all hear those terms. Um, 
zombie companies that have been bandied about for a while. Um, when with JobKeeper and, and other um, support, they've been able to maintain a trade when they otherwise wouldn't. Um, we've also had matters that have been supporting companies in not paying their bills, um, not only the COVID um, relief that we were talking about. The um, ATO has been relatively um, quiet in their pursuits. Uh, landlords have been forced to not allow, um, not fault, you know, to reduce their rent and work with their tenants. So, yes, there are a lot of companies, I think, that are trading at the moment that come some period after 1 January won't be trading anymore. Um, the economic issue that obviously is associated with that is all of the companies that are out there that are fulfilling their obligations, paying their rent, paying their um, their tax, are being penalised to a degree by the um, by the re- reluctance to pursue those who aren't. And I think 2021 will be the year when that comes to fruition. Yeah, I th- look, I, I certainly think there's a lot of moral hazard. And as I said on, on this show once before, you know, we all know from the zombie movies that zombies uh, love to eat the flesh of the living. And, uh, you know, so you, you can, there is a risk of, uh, of contagion there. Um, I know, Jeanette, I notice um, Nick Combus has made a comment there with respect to the new regime. And I know, Jeanette, that you and I were talking earlier this week. Uh, we were talking about pre-insolvency um, and, you know, in the UK, this regime that they've brought into Australia now, in the UK, that is used as a way of registered liquidators or, you know, uh, the, the people that do the voluntary administrations to also get involved in pre-administration. So what are your thoughts on that, just briefly? Um, so in the new regime, the way I see it is that you are still going to need um, some people um, to assist with holding the director's hand and taking them through the process before they get introduced to a, a small business practitioner. Now, um, I just I think that the small business practitioner will be the person who'll um, approach all the creditors, put out the proposal, and be quite light in terms of what they're going to actually help the director achieve. Um, it'll be almost an automated process. So I don't see why small why there wouldn't be two small business practitioners involved in the process. One to to help at the front to almost package up the proposal and assist the director and guide them into whatever it is that they, they seek to achieve. And then the second is to hand it over to um, to a more formal process because you won't have very much time um, in, you know, we haven't seen the regulations yet, but I'm, I'm imagining that's going to be a very quick, fast um, process. And so you will need to have spent some time before with this um, with this company to have organised all that. So I think it is a sort of a form of prepacking in a sense. Yeah, I, I must admit, I, I probably would have liked to have done a little bit more research on it. In the UK, does the like say does the administrator before they're formally appointed the ones that are doing the pre-packing? Is that the same person that's doing the formal administration, or as you just said, are they two different people? What What are your thoughts on this, Warren? I mean, do you think there's an opportunity here for for maybe there to be some changes to the way insolvency, you know, pre-insolvency is is handled? Um. There is the obviously the pre-insolvency market has um, proponents and and um, those who are critical of it. For those who are following through in the genuine, let's work this, help this business reconstitute properly. Um, this, these new reforms will provide a good methodology going forward. However, by pairing back the investigations and the analysis. I'm wondering whether there'll be a reduction in um, analysis of corporate governance and corporate activity so that 
activities that would otherwise attract a bit of scrutiny will may well slip through the keeper with this new regime. And you start to wonder what's the cost of that to the economy and generally to business. All right, well, look, we are out of time. I think that, that we could probably do a whole, uh, whole other episode just on that subject alone. We've, we've covered some, uh, some pretty technical stuff. Sometimes we get a little bit technical here on Lunch Money. Um, but I ha- have to say a big thank you uh, to Jeanette Muller from Hall Chadwick in Brisbane and uh, from Warren Jar from H.W. Ebsworth. Um, thank you very much for joining us. It's been fantastic. Thanks, Dick. Pleasure. Okay. Thank you very much for everybody watching us uh, in replay or listening to us on the podcast, and we look forward to uh, speaking with you all again soon. Cheers. Nick, important question before you go. Who won the yep. um, Who won the cup? Oh, the cup went to uh, Trevor Pogrovsky. Trevor Pogrovsky, uh, congratulations. Uh, a shiny, uh, special cup is on its way. Thank you very much, guys. We'll catch you soon. Thanks.